Hey there, welcome to LSAT Demon Daily. I'm Nathan Fox, that's Ben Olson. We're the founders of LSATdemon.com and our weekly podcast, Thinking LSAT. We've got an email here from Ben. <laughs> we just had an email from Nathan, so strange. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Ben and Nathan. You're, you responded to a question I had earlier this year after I scored 150 on my diagnostic, encouraging me to push for a 170 plus. I thought that was too ambitious, but I had been scoring in the high 160s and just scored 174 on my practice tests. So first and foremost, thanks for believing in me, even when I did not. I plan on taking the June LSAT and will keep practice testing and reviewing, and I will continue listening to your wise, albeit blunt pods, because they have proven effective thus far. I mean, the reason why we are the way we are is because we... Like we've seen this happen so many times. We know that you, dear listener, if you're a novice, if you're new to us, we think that you probably have lower expectations for yourself than you should. Most people don't realize how great a 150 diagnostic is. I mean, even a a 140 something is a pretty solid diagnostic. It indicates that you are able to read carefully and figure things out. And a 150 diagnostic is awesome. Like I, I would expect high 160s or low 170s. Uh, if, if you can really do it that well, just right out of the box, then there's no reason why you can't end up with a excellent, like 98th or 99th percentile LSAT score. Ben continues, my question relates to whether one's LSAT score could be used as a predictor of their class rank slash relative success in the law school they attend. I ask out of both curiosity and concern, knowing that class rank slash relative success in law school is obviously important. For example, if one scores a 168 on their LSAT and is accepted to both their reach, for example, U Chicago, and their safety, for example, Minnesota law, should they consider Minnesota because they might be able to rank highly whereas they may not be as competitive or rank as high in a more competitive U Chicago law school. Sorry, yeah, in in a more competitive U Chicago law. If this is a bad example because you should pick the T14 over the non-T14 in any case, then maybe something like BU versus Arizona State with a 165. Okay, first of all, you should definitely not pick a T14 over a non-T14 in any case. And yes, your LSAT score can indicate the likelihood that you're going to do better at a school than some other school. Um, In fact, this has been studied, and this is one of the reasons that law schools value the LSAT so much, because they can, on some level, gauge how likely you are to do well in, in school. Right. Um, This is also why we tell people to try to not pay for law school or at least pay very, very little, because the more a school is willing to pay you or to discount tuition for you to come, the more likely it is you're going to end up at the top. So it's just a slam dunk. You're paying your risk is going down because your costs are going down and your likelihood of success is going up. It just makes paying for law school look so, so bad. The risk proposition is lopsided and bad. I don't know how else to say that. Yeah. And we frequently tell people to take an offer from a non-T14 school, even if they did squeak into a T14 school. 
I mean, precisely for that reason, right? <laughs> yeah. There's like sometimes UCLA is in the top 14, right? Frequently mm-hmm. they're 15th, but or 16th or whatever, but sometimes they're 14th. Well, if you had a, if you got into UCLA and they offered you nothing and you were also in at USC, which is ranked like 20th in the country and USC was willing to give you a generous scholarship. I mean, those two schools are telling you what they think of your ability to really succeed at that school. Like UCLA is not admitting you if they think you're going to suck there, but they're not giving you a scholarship while they are giving scholarships to many other people in your class. And so, yeah, they're giving you a little bit of a message there that you're just not a star at their school, or at least they're not betting on you being a star. Meanwhile, if USC is giving you a full ride, then USC is telling you, yeah, we think you're going to kill it here. And the outcomes just seem better from from my perspective. It seems better. You take no risk by not having to pay tuition. And then frequently you turn out to be this like rock star at that school. And yeah, sure. It's a slightly less prestigious school, but you're going to get all of the most prestigious opportunities at that school if you're really there kicking ass. And yeah, that's why the law schools use the LSAT because they know that it predicts your performance. I mean, what is it? They can predict like half of your performance on your 1L grades just solely from your LSAT? Yeah, I think it's 60%. Yeah. (laughs) So Yes, it does indicate how likely you are to be successful at that school and scholarships then because scholarships are so highly correlated with LSAT scholarships indicate your likelihood of success at that school. There's always outliers, of course, and, you know, your highest LSAT is only one data point. A 168 is not a 168. It's a 168 plus or minus whatever, because it's, you know, a score within a range. But Generally speaking, if you're barely squeaking into a school, you're not a good bet to really excel at that school. Yep. Yep. And if you're there on a scholarship, then you are. I I think people need to really understand the power of these levers. I just can't get over this. It's like as the cost goes down, your likelihood of success is going up. (laughs) Like that's compounding together to give you an awesome deal, or it's compounding against you to give you a really bad deal. It's not just one in isolation. They work together and make things exponentially better or exponentially worse. What do you want to do? Yeah. So yes, pay more to do worse, or you can like, yeah, pay more to do worse at a more prestigious school, or you can pay less or nothing at all to do better at a less prestigious school. Nathan's doing that in air quotes, by the way. Air quotes, yeah. It depends on prestigious. Um, It depends. It depends what you want to do as well, right? If if you're dead set on big law or a federal clerkship or something like that, then you need to dig in to okay. You know, maybe there are real differences in big law placement between BU and Arizona State, Mm -hmm. or maybe there are big differences in big law federal clerkship placements between you Chicago and Minnesota. And so there are times where people will make the decision to go to a truly elite school if they want to get themselves into the halls of truly elite (laughs) justice. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Truly elite, uh, law practice. Yeah. But our default presumption is always going to be don't pay for law school. 
And if you apply broadly, you should be able to get yourself an offer from some school that that actually does have the opportunities that you want. Maybe not as many opportunities, but they still have opportunities like they yes, they they do have on campus interviewing. Yes, they do have big law placement. And if you're there on a scholarship, then you're a really good bet to get those opportunities. On the other hand, yeah, if you go to that more prestigious school, but then you get your ass kicked there in the grade competition, you might not end up in big law or federal clerkship anyway. Yeah. Yep. Anything more for Ben? Nope. Thanks for writing. Email daily at lsatdemon.com if you'd like to ask us a question or share some LSAT or law school admissions news. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 